podcast ad that I think yes. I've ever heard. Oh, so. I'm excited. Oh, yeah. I like words. A podcast. Fat, buttery words. About language. Sniggly, chuckling words. The world in words. Wormy, squirmy, mealy words. The world in words. Get it on Apple Podcasts. Or wherever you subscribe to podcasts. Fat, buttery words. Fat, buttery words. I can only... <laughs> rock hard words. Yeah. I'm just saying words that I like. I just want Jason... Throbbing, <laughs> grisly words. I want Jason Statham to do it like, rock hard, gripping <laughs> words. Yeah. I like big fat words. Words make me squirm. I like squirmy, wormy, dermy words. I like words that feel like blurs. I like bird words like I like flirts. Words like Tesco. I like oily, smoily, boily words. Yeah, that's that's actually really accurate. That's what Radio One is in England. I like wookie dookie 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 words. I like words make me go ruff ruff. Uh, words make me meow. I like words make me go mew mew. All right, now you just right. You're just, you're just fucking being Ringo Starr now. So. I like words I can stick my cock. In. I like words that can I can hit my wife with. <laughs> I like to have fun. I like to shoot guns. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm enjoying it. <laughs> Anyways, what's I would I want to listen to a Ringo Starr podcast where he's been red pilled. <laughs> Do you know that woman? That woman are working against us, men. I, I'm just tired of the feminazis. <laughs> These SJWs. They're marching down the streets and trying to punch me in the face. <laughs> Women can't keep four four time. <laughs> They're too neurotic. It's biologically impossible for women to have fun. Hot shot. Hey, what's up, guys? Uh, it's Vince. We couldn't get the entire gang into the same room this week, which happens sometimes. Uh, but I've been doing these interviews with some really interesting people. And eventually I'd love to spin those off into a separate podcast. But for now, I feel like it would be a sin to waste perfectly good hashtag content. So this week, uh, I, got a, I got a couple interviews uh, that you can listen to. The first one is with um, Kyle Mooney and Dave McCary from Brigsby Bear. Kyle Mooney is, of course, uh, on SNL. And Dave McCary uh, was the director of Brigsby Bear, and Kyle Mooney was the co-writer and star of Brigsby Bear, which I thought was a really cool movie. So you can check out that interview. And uh, after that, I've got Tom Colicchio from Top Chef. Uh, he's actually a pretty great interview. I asked him about being a self-hating Italian because he always likes to make fun of people for cooking Jersey Italian food. I thought that was kind of funny. Um, anyway, check those out. Uh, we'll be back next week. As always, if you want to donate... Uh, patreon.com slash frockcast and as always enjoy and fraud on all right why don't you guys tell me about uh when you first started working together on this well uh well uh, both well the the movie um dave and i had lived together for Probably um, what um, close under a decade, close to a decade, and and uh, I had the seed of of the idea at some point, probably like six, seven years ago. Um, and Dave was always around, and I was always talking about it. Uh, I ended up pitching it to our friend Kevin Costello, the co-writer, and and he and I started scripting it in the spring of 2013. And Dave came on board as a director 
about two years later when when we had the final version mm-hmm. of the script. But but Dave and I have known each other since fourth, fifth grade, and uh, have been making stuff since let's say eighth grade. Yeah, I think that's fair. In uh, in San Diego. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as someone who went to college in San Diego. I find the SoCal sketches uh, brutally accurate, but uh, weirdly good-natured. Like, you kind of want to give the characters a hug, even as sure. you're making yeah, fun of them. Nice. Yeah, that's um, nice. Does that reflect your feelings about the place at all? Totally. I mean, like, uh, it's sometimes funny to me to see, like, uh, and I and I hate to throw the term bro out there, but, like, to see, like, a, a SoCal bro who's, like, um, also, like, a... 45 year old man and, and with <laughs> yeah. like two kids I, I always like that's like a flat brimmed uh, dad is, is one of my favorite things I think we also like the little moments of vulnerability that that pierce through this like tough exterior that I think a lot of these guys who, who um, aren't accustomed to sharing their feelings or or um, you know, really ex- expressing themselves, but you can tell there it's it's hidden somewhere, and mm-hmm. every once in a while, just a little glimpse of it will come out. But then they'll they'll undercut it with, uh, you know, you you want to smoke or you know. <laughs> yeah. Or, um, what's what's the ratio? I yeah, like that. Yeah. But yeah, we've you know we've always been with all of the characters that I think Kyle or or Kyle and I have have tackled. We are always trying to find those interesting, honest um, mannerisms and, and emotional uh, nuances that we can expose or explore that, that maybe other comedians or, or writers haven't necessarily tapped into as much as we would like to tap into. The, another interesting part about those characters is they're not telling a lot of or there's not a lot of like big clear joke moments. The mm-hmm. joke is is more of the the long game of that the they're even doing what they're or saying what they're saying, and that's always been a fun part of it for us, where we're not searching for for laughs or consistent mm-hmm. laughs as much as just the the overall experience. I mean, that was going to be one of my questions about this movie is that. Uh you know, it's funny, but it's like, it seems very story first and you're not going for a lot of like the big punchline moments necessarily. Was that a philosophy you had uh, as you were making it? I think so. Yeah. I feel like we felt like the script had inherently humorous moments and, uh, and we were just kind of so into the idea of this story that felt like we felt like the best way to portray it was just to play everything as earnestly, honestly uh, as possible, and 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 uh, and to not undermine the kind of drama that exists mm-hmm. with, within within the movie. Yeah, I've, I've said this a lot, so I'm, I'm sorry, Kyle. But the, uh, <laughs> here we go. God. Here we go. Um, I've always felt from the beginning, before we even went into production, that I, I would be more fulfilled to hear that audiences were tearing up or, or getting emotional over laughing. Mm-hmm. Like the, the laughs never were nearly as important as people staying on the, the emotional journey of, of the characters. So as we were filming, we were, sometimes we would get all takes of, 
you know, a jokier read on something just in case in the edit we've found that, oh, that we, we can go a little bigger in this moment um, and lean into a, to a comedic uh, situation. But for the most part, we found that we would like this movie as viewers ourselves if it felt genuine throughout and, and didn't go for those jokes per minute mm-hmm. and uh oh yeah did you uh like w- were there other things that you've watched where you would where you would wish that they would sort of you know stay more focused instead of going for the more more jokes Is other that, films yeah or I, tv I, I, too yeah i don't know that we like would necessarily judge movies like they mm-hmm. went too wacky with it but like there is just the version the other version of this movie is like Elf or something like yeah. that. You know what I mean? Like kind of a, a, a broader take on the fish out of water. But there's, I, lo- I, I love those movies. You know yeah. what I mean? I mean, Elf, Elf was yeah, one of the references, uh, you know, when we were thinking about this movie and, and it's such a great film. It's just their, their approach, uh, you know, was a little more joke heavy and, mm-hmm. and uh, whereas it was also heartwarming and, and had those moments that made you really feel for all these characters. But we, uh, we thought we could, because we had a script that even though it was relatively bizarre of a concept, we felt like we could play it as a realistic national news story and lean more into the, the idea of like each one of these scenes and these family moments and these friend moments could feel pretty authentic like it Mm -hmm. none of this is completely out of the realm of possibility whereas to go back to elf not to harp on that movie it's obviously out of the realm of why do you hate elf (laughs) i I mean i love movies with lots of jokes but i hate when i'm watching a movie and i can feel like the joke metronome where like every seven seconds yeah Yeah, yeah. and it's like you can tell they're like trying to force it in there Yeah. yeah Um, I want to make clear, I really love that. I really (laughs) do. I mean, I think that's also another one where it's jokier, but it's, it's attempting to be genuine in the same way. I think, um, were there some, were there ever like hyper-specific, uh, SoCal parodies that were hard to sell on SNL where it was, uh, you know, because the show's traditionally so like New York focused, uh, yeah, I mean, like, well, yeah, just general, like, sensibly, like, generally, like, sometimes the audience won't react to to things that we we feel like are acutely accurate mm-hmm. to the yeah. to the SoCal experience. But I, th- I think to that accuracy, sometimes or oftentimes tends not to be that funny. It just mm-hmm. tends to be like, whoa, this is, makes me uncomfortable. How accurate this? Well, <laughs> right. Yeah, my yeah. point is yeah. that. that I think there's a portion of audiences on the East Coast that don't that don't even know the reference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything that like just like couldn't make. You're asking if like there's something that. Yeah, if there was anything that that uh, that didn't quite translate because it was too San Diego specific. I would say just most of it. Because <laughs> <laughs> to me, like when they're arguing about the salsa, and then, like, no, it's just a kicker. Like everything's just so yeah. very accurate. Yeah, there is a there is a uh, a specific salsa that existed in a taco shop in in L.A. when we 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 lived there for like ten years, and I truly was so bummed when this salsa <laughs> disappeared. Yeah. Because it was, it was the habanero, habanero salsa. Yeah, it was like orange and 
the tastiest. I mean, it was extremely hot, but it was mm-hmm. the tastiest salsa we had ever tasted. And then all of a sudden, they just discontinued it. They discontinued it, and then that place, Tarasco's, closed down. Yeah, sorry. sorry. No, no, that's great. <laughs> that's I like that. Yeah. Um, my friend uh, Justin Halpern, who grew up in Point Loma, he likes to say that the that the flag of San Diego should uh, should be a drunk bro with his shirt off in the middle of the street while his girlfriend tries to calm him down. Uh, <laughs> agree or disagree? I just don't think uh-huh. that would be helpful for the city. <laughs> well, we li- yeah. Uh, yeah. I, we've all seen that, definitely. <laughs> especially down in, like, PB or, or you know, like, the... Uh, but, you know, that is everywhere. Right? Right. It's just, a, it's, it's performed differently mm-hmm. by these people. But, like, in the South, there's a drunk Southern guy whose girlfriend's trying to calm him down and... and <laughs> In New York, there's some drunk accountant guy right. whose girlfriend's trying Boat to go. shoes. I think the the consistent thing here is there's always going to be drunk assholes that mm-hmm. that that girls are the uh, more emotionally grounded people who can try to reel them back. Mm-hmm. Um, I you guys started this before pre SNL writing this this script. Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask if it was hard to get a movie made that wasn't like a recurring. Character, I don't know. Does that even apply? Because you started it before. Uh, I think, like, yeah. Obviously, like starting the movie and not having an idea that I was gonna get mm-hmm. hired by the show. Um, it was just like, let's make a movie. This is the story we're gonna tell. Um, if anything, it was, it was more, I guess, a, a scenario where just being on the show gave me more value or like leverage to to help to get this movie made mm-hmm. um but no nobody was ever like we want you to do this broad thing you know i mean like they i think everybody's always kind of been supportive of um telling the story you want you wanted yeah. to tell and it's also not an snl movie you mm-hmm. know what i mean right. it's not lauren's if, not producing it if you read the the script prior to us even like pitching the the tonal approach that we wanted to go after the script in itself is pretty heartwarming. And I think any smart producer or financier who reads the script, I think would be on the same page as us is like, yeah, let's not make this broad. There's a very sweet story here. Let's, let's try to make it feel uh, authentic and mm-hmm. genuine. But I, I do want to just yeah articulate that everybody at the show has been, Incredibly supportive of, yeah. of, of the, the life of this movie. Absolutely. Um, was sort of doing it uh, indie style and taking it to uh, Sundance, was that always the plan or were you, uh, did, you, um, did you try to sell it to a studio beforehand? Or? I think, uh, yeah, that was pretty much always the plan. I think given um, that it's kind of a strange movie in some ways, uh, um, and that, like, I'm not a name star. Like, it, it, I don't think it would have made sense as a studio movie. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that... You're a name star to me. And I like you. You could have done better than that. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, the goal, I think, like, early on, as we would, like, pitch the the idea to, to producers, I think everybody was kind of on board with, let's try to get this into into a major festival, if possible, mm-hmm. and then and kind of build it from there. There's also just side note that because we shot in Utah, it was really important for us to get it into Sundance because it was really special to have 
the opportunity for local cast and crew that we filmed around Salt Lake and, and around Park City mm-hmm. to be able to kind of, you know, not, not often when you shoot on location do, do, do your local cast and crew get to come see the, the premiere, the opening week of your, you know, your festival run. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was really cool. Um, was there anything, um, in particular that, uh, that inspired the idea of the, you know, this kid raised in isolation? I mean, I was, I don't know. I, I, I think about this a lot and I, and I don't know that I can like pinpoint a moment or thing. I know we were, Kevin and I, the co-writer did talk about that movie dog tooth, uh, a little bit early on, but I think, I think I initially was just kind of struck with the idea of like a guy who, um, who watches a TV show that's made just for him? That was like kind of, I think I don't know where that came from, but it, did, it just sort of appeared. I kind of know where it came from. Okay, where I, this is just this is has th- th- this this is, just this is theoretical. Theory. Okay, it's then completely you completely theoretical. Then you can't say I know where it came from. <laughs> I, I I have a theory of where it came from. Okay, uh, so let's hear, let's hear it. I've, I've I've said this before. So Kyle is. Uh, a, a very accomplished thrift store uh, bargain bin digger for these obscure children's educational <laughs> um, videos that are, are always, you know, he, he strikes gold often or has over the last decade and oftentimes shares the, his favorite moments that are like unintentionally funny or bizarre or psychedelic or whatever of these weird videos and he shares with uh, me and, and his friends um, but it is, there's a lot of solitude in the experience that Kyle goes through of sifting through it, watching, you know, uh, the work that it takes to really go through a lot of these bad videos that oftentimes they're duds and they're not worth sharing with, with us, uh, his friends. And so he has over the years spent so much time alone watching these obscure videos that probably no one in the world is watching Mm -hmm. anymore because they're 30 years old and you know, there's no, no parent is seeking these out to show their kids. So the theory is that subconsciously you've had that experience so much where you're watching this bizarre show just that is, is just for you in that moment that maybe some of that seeped in. In or an, you're like, an unconscious where you like remember a catchphrase that's really funny to you, and then you realize that you're the only one who's seen that thing. <laughs> sure, sure. I'm just gonna say n- no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Okay, that, I, I, I think that that could be it. <laughs> there you go. Um, another thing that I find similar between this and some of the uh, you guys' earlier videos is that there isn't really a villain like there's not uh i mean everybody's kind of sympathetic in their own way was that something that you did that you do deliberately was that something you thought about while you were writing it i don't know how much we thought about uh, about it in terms of like conceptualizing it Mm -hmm. but we i mean like certainly have noticed that uh i don't know would you have anything to say about the the lack of villain the villain was just like the general idea of of adults keeping this away from him. But yeah, because it's done out of love or out of what they think is best for this kid's mental health. Um, yeah, there is no, 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 no choice that a character is making. That's, it seems like it's 
made out of pure evil. Like I'm just a bad or narcissistic or cynical person. And, uh, you know, obviously most people who read this script, including myself, really responded to that. Yeah, we don't need to tell the story of, of necessarily good versus evil. I, I would say Sun Snatcher is a villain. He's fake. <laughs> He's fake. Uh, Spoiler alert. But yeah, I mean, I think maybe uh, subconsciously too, when Kyle and Kevin were writing uh, and finding that this was a, a film more about the love of filmmaking and, and friends coming together and, and being creative, that there was no need to, to turn it into a you know, bad guy uh, experience and that we could just embrace the feel-good nature of, of the film. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I, I always loved that about the initial script. Do you find it, uh, like, liberating in some ways to write uh, knowing that you're not going to have to turn it around in front of a, a live audience that you write differently? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, uh, Dave and I have talked about this a couple times, but... Um, the freedom to not have to do like joke after joke after joke after joke and, and to kind of just live in the drama and to just stretch it out. It's, it's, it makes for a more rewarding experience in a lot of ways. Um, we've, we've also talked a little bit about how we're just generally not as talented at coming up with I'm, I, I'm not a joke writer really yeah, you know what like I mean coming up with jo- like there are people and we've seen at our job at SNL these incredible writers who are it's it's crazy how machine like they can just every five seconds there's like a great joke but that comes out you've said you've said this and I've I've thought this before too you know like that's kind of like the way a situational comedy works you know, ev- every moment a character is saying something like incredibly clever or something mm-hmm. like that, and mm-hmm. people just don't talk like that. Yeah, I, yeah. And we knew that. You know, to to keep our audience in in the example of of Brigsby Bear, to keep our audience engaged with the the truths of this uh, character's journey, the more you you come up with th- these clever speak and and, and go after. You know, I, I would. There are there are like, there, you could maybe find a couple moments in this movie that are that kind of break that, sure that wall. Um, but we we tried to keep it to to a minimum. Yeah, it's just the the. I think as as an audience member, you're less invested in the story when you don't feel like it's real, and and the more you add characters speaking and and joke speak then you're just like, well, now this doesn't feel like it's a, an honest story. Mm-hmm. I just tend to enjoy things more when the situation feels uh, clever and entertaining while the characters themselves are kind of inarticulate. And, uh, <laughs> and I think that's another thing that, going back to like the SoCal... Yeah, yeah. No, totally. We, yeah, and Dave kind of touched upon that as well, just that idea of like, it, yeah, it is the, situ- the situation or the concept as a whole is... is the funny and interesting thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did uh, who are your like comedy heroes growing up, and are there people that you that who are around now whose career you're be Dave. trying be to Dave. emulate? You Dave. want me to say <laughs> you were my comedy hero <laughs> growing up? Yep, Dave. <laughs> yes. uh, I mean, I, I think like nobody that um, 
would be like that's like super unique. I, I grew up watching Saturday Night Live, mm-hmm. and and so all, all of those casts. I mean, anybody there? There's I can't think of a cast. It's not like I'd be like. All the cast members have been yeah. good in the we history. Lo- we loved, uh, you know, the early yeah, Sandberg like the, stuff, Farley, well, but and, Farley years, yeah, all that stuff. Uh, and then, yes, you, your Bill Murray's, your Steve, Steve Martin, Martin um, short. I'm a, I love Albert Brooks movies. Uh, we loved Ace, The Mask, <laughs> When Nature Calls. When nature call, yeah, um, was a bit. I, I don't. I wasn't like. I mean, like, but I guess like o- over time, you obviously learn more about. The history of comedy and and like you know your Andy Kaufmans and uh, and and people like that who kind of um, add a level of performance uh, uh, that is um, antithetical to to typical comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I would say in recent memory, the things that make me laugh the most are like YouTube videos of kids just speaking directly to camera who have no audiences. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and, and it, it's, this is maybe like a cheap way to answer this question, but like, I truly, I think I, and I, and I would like to think Dave get most laughs out of human interaction mm-hmm. and, and observing people and, uh, and just like, yeah, characters. So this movie, it's sort of, it, but also you'd say Dave. <laughs> Dave yeah. is one of my comedy heroes. <laughs> Great. This movie sort of hits all of the uh, traditional uh, studio notes, like, oh, give it more heart. And, like, you know, it's like a love letter to uh, the creative process. Um, like, do, you, uh, do you feel like you're going to be bound by that with the next thing you, you make? Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> really? Because you keep on saying, like, after this experience, I want to do another movie with art. <laughs> With art? Heart. Oh, heart. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I definitely want to make... Uh, that's not necessarily true. I, I would definitely like to stay um, on more of the dramatic scale, but I think we'll always be using our what we know about comedy to a degree. I think we... I think... Uh, I'd like to think we're just always going to be... Whatever idea is interesting to us at the time we're going to pursue right. and then that's kind of what we've always done there have been moments in our history where maybe we've like attempted to do something like topical like it just in an effort to see if we can reach an audience that that we um wouldn't normally but i think we've pretty much always stuck true to like let's do this thing that that's making us laugh right yeah um i do you think that like in the last ten or twenty years, it seems like pop culture in general has been fascinated with like the idea of a sociopath and like these real like bad characters. And now when I see something like Brigsby Bear, where everyone's kind of nice, it feels really like refreshing. Do you think that? Do you think that there's um, that? Do you think that, that that because of societal trends that that it uh, that it feels more uh, interesting in that way? Maybe, but I, yeah, I think I think also just like. Yeah, I'm, I don't have, like, a super dark sensibility, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And, and I don't think Dave does. I think, like, I've never been... As a kid, I probably, like, would have... That stuff would have made me nervous, you know what right. I mean? Like, I just, like, kind of always maybe gravitated towards... But you, I, I've seen you watch and love films, like at Dogtooth, which was an inspiration to a degree for the the film. Like, that that's a pretty... Yeah, but sometimes it gets scary, though. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do have love for for tragedy and, and intensity, um, and 
as again, as long as it, it doesn't feel out of the realm of possibility. I, I love realism mm-hmm. truly. And, um, I but, but I, but, but realism is one thing. And I, and I agree with you, but like, there aren't necessarily like a ton of psychopathic people walking around all the time <laughs> sure. and we don't yeah. need to like only tell their, their of stories. Course. I agree. Yeah. There's a lot more like Kevin Spacey's strangling dogs and then like looking at the camera to deliver a soliloquy like in fiction than, than, than right, right. especially premium cable. Um, so, uh, so you guys were you guys in the same class growing up or we probably had we had some classes classes together, but we were always like kind of in carpool class uh, parallel or something. Mm-hmm, you know what yeah. I mean? Like we we grew up in a relatively small community so we did some lunch at Wagenheim together too you remember those fries Cajun fries yes I remember the Cajun fries <laughs> wait where's Wagenheim Wagenheim's in Mira Mesa mm-hmm. uh, if there are any wildcats out there <laughs> <laughs> throw, up, throw your hands up uh, so we went to uh, Miramar Ranch Elementary School together then we went to Wagenheim and then we had to s- transfer schools to a brand new middle school called Marshall Middle School and then we went to Scripps Ranch High School together for anyone who's keeping tabs. Yeah. Cool. Please cool. keep tabs. All right. Thank you so much yeah, for having you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that was fun. I'll give you the... Oh, yeah. give you the is this Tom? It is. Hey, how's it going? All right. Um, so I was uh, I was thinking I could ask you about this, uh, about this contest, and then I could go into some general questions. Is that cool? Yeah, sure. Anything oh, you want. Cool, cool. Um, so tell me about uh, the the sandwich contest. Oh yeah, so um, the sandwich contest. So I teamed up with Arnold Arrowheat and Brownberry, and uh, the contest is America's Better Sandwich Contest. Uh, so the really cool thing about the, the contest is you submit your your favorite sandwich recipe, and if you win, you can win twenty five thousand um, dollars. But but more importantly is um, um, Arrowheat, um, Arnold, and Brownberry. For every submission, they're donating a loaf of bread to Feeding America. Uh, Feeding America is America's leading anti-hunger organization. Uh, they support um, uh, food pantries in, uh, across the country. And so uh, not only can you, if you win, can you put some bread in your pocket, but you can really help uh, to put some bread on, onto family tables that are really struggling. Very cool. Um, do you have, uh, going to general question, do you have a, f- a first food memory? Oh, God, a first food memory. Um Man, that's a, that's a tough one. There, there, there are so many. A first one, um, I, I, you know, I used to go fishing at a very young age with my grandfather. And every morning before we'd go fishing, early in the morning, he'd wake up and he would make eggs and peppers. He would fry peppers and onions and then you know, almost like, like a frittata, crack like eggs into it. And that smell, waking up in the morning is, is one of the first things I remember. I mean, I started going out with him when I was three and four years old. And, and I remember that smell. And to this day, um, if I go out fishing in the morning, I, I try to make peppers. In fact, I went out uh, just yesterday. Uh, it was my birthday. We went out, and I made uh, that, that dish. Um, so that was one of the first, first food memories that I can remember. Yeah. Uh, where did you guys fish? Uh, Barnegat Bay, New Jersey. Okay. Um, so speaking of Jersey, uh, I know you're an Italian-American from Jersey, uh, and I've heard you bash people on Top Chef for making uh, Jersey red sauce, and I think last season uh, you asked someone, uh, did, Snook- did Snooky serve this? Uh, can, can, can you tell me about your relationship with uh, New Jersey Italian food? No, I, I love it. I think I bashed it because there wasn't a very good version of it. <laughs> um, you know, I, that's something I know really well. But 
everyone has their own, you know, family recipe. And so uh, for me, I grew up on my mom's uh, gravy, as we call it. And um, it, it, it holds a special place. And so I think that was the point that I was kind of, uh, you know, giving someone a hard time for, for you know, giving me, uh, you know, red sauce and I'm from New Jersey. So that was, I wasn't bashing New Jersey red sauce. Like <laughs> I grew up, but it's in my veins. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, when you make a gravy, paste or no paste? You know, I don't use it. I don't use paste. My, my mother did. I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't use it. No. Yeah. Um, I know you never went to uh, culinary school. Do you have strong feelings uh, one way or, uh, or another about the value of culinary school? Um, listen, I think education is important no matter, no matter what school you go to. But I, I think that uh, what, if you want a career in the culinary arts, I think you, you sort of understand where, you're, where you want to go. If you want to go to small restaurants, um, I think the best thing to do is work in restaurants first for a couple years um, uh, you know, before um, you go to school. Um, it's expensive to go to school. Um, you know, you're going to be paying back student loans. And I, uh, you know, I, I, I think it's a decision the individual needs to, to make. I mean, I hire uh, you know, kids who have gone to culinary school, kids who didn't go to culinary school, um, I don't really have a preference to either one, but I really think you should work in a few restaurants before you make that choice. Right. That, yeah. Um, I mean, sometimes people find out they, they, they work in restaurants after culinary school, and they don't like working in restaurants. Um, I mean, the great thing is that there's, there's a lot of different career choices you can make if you want to be in food, especially nowadays. Um, it's, it's, uh, there's a lot of different ways to go. So I think you should just make sure you like working in restaurants first. Right. Um, so now, uh, how has the world changed now that you can see like what people in Spain or Japan or something are cooking online without physically being there? Yeah, you know that's a, that's a great question, um, and I've, I've talked about this in the past. You know, it used to be um, if you wanted to see someone's food, you'd have to get on a plane. So I used to go to you know France every year or Italy every year. I've taken trips to Japan just to really sort of understand what people were doing. Nowadays, with a click of a mouse. Um, you can see, you know, someone's dishes. And, and so I think what that does is um, trends move around the world very quickly. Um, all of a sudden, you'll see a different way of plating food. And, you know, you'll see somewhere, and then w- within a week, you'll see it in 10, you know, 20, 30, 40 different restaurants. And, and so I, I think what it does in a way is, uh, you know, chefs, I, 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 you're not seeing this personal style um, from 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 chefs, you're you're seeing a lot of and and people aren't taking dishes whole cloth um, from a chef, but there's just a lot of borrowing that's going on right now, and and I and I think that um, you know I think the the better chefs really uh, distinguish themselves because they do their own thing. They don't they don't try to imitate or try to uh, uh, to, to to copy. And so um, you know again, it's it's okay to get out there and see what's going on. But ultimately, I think if you're going to be a great chef, you've got to find your own way and, and make your own statement. Right. And, it's, and speaking on those trends, like you as a restaurateur, like how much at the mercy of other trends do you feel like you are? Like what's the balance between sort of expanding people's palates and, and having to meet their expectations? I, I, don't, I don't feel any pressure to, to follow trends. I, I, in fact, I try to, to really stay away from them. Um, but uh, I, I think you're, 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 you're picking on something that, uh, that is really important. You should always be attuned to what your customers' wants and needs are. I think that's really important. Now, if they're following trends, then, then that's fine. But I think that, um, you know, if you're going to be a successful restaurateur, a successful chef, you need customers. Um, and so my feeling is that your, your goal, or at least the goal we have in our restaurants, are it's making people happy. 
And so if we can do that by providing them something that they want that's different, new, and exciting, great. But yet if they want something that is, is basic and approachable, we should be able to do that as well. Is there anything that you've had where you felt like you, you had to put certain things on a menu that you that you're really reluctant to uh, now or in the past? Yeah, I'm, I'm laughing now because, uh, you know, Kraft, we, we just opened for lunch about, about a year ago, and everyone insists that you have to have a burger on a lunch menu. And mm-hmm. I really didn't want to do it, uh, but I caved in and I did it. And, and nothing, I don't have anything against burgers, but I don't think you should, you know, as a, a customer, you should expect that every restaurant that you go to, there should be a burger. <laughs> right. Um, you know, the Bernardin is a great seafood restaurant here in New York. I don't think you go there expecting a burger. Right. Um, so Top Chef, like along with a few other things that I watch, uh, feels like it's sort of on the cutting edge of making food culture uh, mainstream. Uh, and usually that's a good thing. But have you ever had any customer or like fan interactions where you think, oh, God, we've created a monster? Oh, <laughs> all the time. You know, it usually happens if I'm out to dinner. And, um, I'm, you know, you're sitting next to a table and you overhear a conversation and I hear them parroting the stuff that I say on the show. <laughs> and it's like, oh, God. And like, oh, the amused boost just isn't really up to speed. It's like, really? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> but, but you know what? It is, it is great. It is, it is uh, you know, food has become part of, of popular culture um, in, in this country and I think around the world. And so, uh, um, you know, it, it, on one hand, it's kind of funny to see, you know, uh, what we've created, but on the other hand, it is really great. You know, and I think what's really cool about it is that young kids now um, are really into food, and 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 that's good because part part and parcel of being into food is being uh, into nutrition. And mm-hmm. if you can get kids more nutritious food at a young age, um, you get them interested in food at a young age, that'll carry through the rest of their life. And so that's what I'm most proud of the show is the amount of young kids that we we've, we've uh, managed to, to to bring into to the food culture. Um, in fact, Top Chef, we just um, shot um, uh, uh, a um, Top Chef Junior. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wasn't involved in the production, but um, you know that's, that's really neat. So, so yeah, it's uh, um, you're right. It, it, it has become part of of, uh, of popular culture for for, for for good or bad. Um, was that something uh, that you'd pushed back on in the past? No, 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 not at all. I mean, the junior, um, the Top Chef Junior thing. Oh, no, actually, I, I, I wanted to do it a long time ago because I kept running into kids who just love the show. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, there's certain complications when, when you're, you're working with children. Um, there's certain rules and regulations. They have to have tutors on the set. They can only work six hours at a time. And so, you know, looking at our production, we're working 16-hour days. And so uh, it definitely limits how, how quickly you can get a show up and running. Um, I think the other shows that were on network where they spent a little more money in the production, they were able to, to bring kids in. Uh, it was a little easier, but we finally uh, managed to figure it out. Yeah. Right. Um, so on Top Chef, you, you guys, you know, you, there's like, uh, there's an, uh, you get chefs that are like winning awards and, and being honored for certain things. Um, and I always wonder, like I got 15 restaurants on my street and I haven't been to half of them. How... Like how when they're doing those awards, like how do they how do they how do they get a realistic cross section? I guess. Um, that you know we have great casting agents, and what we do is we cast in very in, in probably eight to ten different cities, um, and uh, a lot of it is an interview process. You know, we're looking to uh, to cast for for diversity for for uh, both uh, um, uh, racial diversity. 
um, you know, we're looking for equal amounts of men and women, um, but, but you also have to have a, a, some serious chops. Uh, you know, for the most part, we only bring in executive chefs or chef de cuisines, maybe like a senior sous chef level. Um, and so, you know, obviously that, that's important, but we, you know, we try to be inclusive and I think that's, that's also part of our success. Um, the show is interesting. Uh, the show is, is fun, but there's also serious food as well. Um, so I think that's why we've been, we've been so successful. Um, so, uh, sorry, shifting gears. Um, as a restaurateur, how do you feel about, uh, Yelp reviews? I, I think they're fine. Um, you know, you, when you look at, at Yelp or if you look at any of the other, uh, uh, crowdsource reviews, um, you're not looking at individual reviews. If you respond to individual reviews, you, you make yourself nuts. You have to look at trends and you have to look at, at, uh, you know, trend lines. And so if I'm noticing over the course of a week, I'm getting a lot of complaints about salty food, for instance. Mm-hmm. Then I know I have a problem. But then it's, it's, it's different than that. I have, you know, in, in the course of an evening service, there's four to six cooks working around a stove, right? Mm-hmm. So now I've got to figure out what's the, where's the problem. Is it in, is, if someone's complaining about fish being salty, then I know I need to go to that fish cook. And right. so, again, you're looking at trend lines and not just individual reviews. So I think, I think there it's helpful. But, you know... Uh, you know, I've, I've read reviews on Yelp of restaurants that aren't even open yet. So, <laughs> yeah, kind of have to look at the big picture. Right. Um, what are your What are some of your favorite and uh, least favorite restaurant trends right now? Um, hard to say. I don't. I don't get out that often. <laughs> it's, uh, I'm actually going out tonight for dinner, but I don't. I don't get out that often. I think. Um, uh, I think I'll tell you what I like instead of what I don't like. I like right now that you're seeing restaurants that are much more focused. You're seeing menus that are shrinking down. You're seeing six appetizers, six entrees, and that's it. And so I, I think the chefs are realizing that, number one, there's, a, there's better economics doing fewer things. And I think that you can be specialist and you can be known for doing a certain thing. You don't have to be known for doing everything. You know, not everything needs to be like I, what, I, what I call the gap of, 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 of foods. You don't have to have something for everyone. Um, I think you need to find your niche and really stick to that. I think right now uh, the, the marketplace, as you mentioned, 15 restaurants in your block, there's this oversaturation of restaurants, and I think you need to stand out. And a way to stand out is to be specialized and not to, to try to be a generalist. Right. Um, on that note, like, is there, are there things that you don't order when you eat out because you think you can, you know, you're like, I can cook this better at home? No, I probably can't cook it better at home. <laughs> but no, no, no. I, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the ingredients that sound together, that sound different. You know, there's every now and then you'll, you know, you'll, you'll find a combination of things that you never thought of. I mean, even just this past season, we just had our, our 15th season of Top Chef um, in the spring, and uh, someone put together a dish with sour cherries and lovage. And I think lovage is a herb that it kind of tastes like celery. Uh-huh. And I thought that combination was amazing. I'd never had it before. And so, I, you know, for me on the menu, I'm looking for different combinations of things that, that you know, are, are different and unique. Um, are, quite frankly, what I'm really in the mood to eat. Um, right. That's what it comes down to. I'm looking at a menu and it's like, am I in a mood for, for you know, something really challenging or do I want something very simple tonight? Um, you know, do I want um, – I always will, if I'm out – for some reason, I always like game birds, so I'm looking at that. Um, not the season for game birds right now. Uh, I think it's a good season for fish right now, especially local fish. So, you know, it, it all depends. 
Yeah. What, I, what I don't want to see right now, I certainly don't want to walk to a restaurant now and find butternut squash. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'm looking for something that's seasonal. Right. Um, are there things that you love that you would want to put on a menu but don't because it's too hard to get right or because the economics of it just don't work out? Mm, no, I, I don't. I don't think so. Um, I, I, you know, you can. I mean, we have upscale restaurants, and so you can charge what you need to charge for food. Um, there are some things that um, are are challenging in terms of putting food out um, in a, during a busy service. Um, and uh, you know, for instance, doing something like a, a, a fish stew where you have shellfish and maybe shrimp and lobster and fin fish—all those little things that have to be cooked um, differently. Um, at different times, so so they cook properly. That's hard to pull off. So I always keep that in mind. It's just, you know how 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 busy the service is going to be. We may do that dish during the weekend on weekends. Maybe take it off the menu. Right. And when you're judging Top Chef, do you sort of judge uh, by degree of difficulty like that? In addition to just you know how good it tastes. No, no, we're looking at at how food tastes. Right. Um, it's not so much how, I mean, we're looking at how food tastes, how it's seasoned, if it's cooked properly, what the intention of the chef is, and then does it adhere to the actual challenge. And that, that's really it. Okay. Um, Great talking to you, Vince. Hey, I, I got I to gotta, yeah. uh, get out of here. Yeah, no problem. Um, again, I just, wanna, I just want to remind you, uh, everyone that uh, to go to that uh, americasbestsandwich.com um, uh, to uh, get all the information that you need to submit your, your sandwich recipes. And again, you win $25,000 and help uh, struggling families. So, uh, <laughs> Uh, all right that's a wrap for this week again if you want to donate uh, patreon.com slash fraudcast we love all those uh, if you want to email us fraudcast at gmail.com we love uh, suggestions of what old movies we should watch or bad local news stories uh, worst takes of the week terrible names relationship questions all sorts of hashtag content. We love it all. Even, you know, just want to drop us a line and say, hey, that's cool too. Uh, if you want to leave us a voicemail, which you guys do every once in a while, uh, that's 415-275-0030. Uh, until next week, good night and good chins.